Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose and went, went over, he and the six hundred men who were with him, to Achish the son of Maok, king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. Heavenly Father, we uh, just thank you for your word. I pray that you would be glorified and proclaimed as Mark preaches it, preaches from it now. Um, pray that you would give us hearts of flesh and open our ears that we might know you more. And we thank you for bringing us here together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning. Really? Sorry. Yeah, I, I've been here for seven years, and every Sunday, good morning. good morning. Thank you. Yes, yes, I understand. I'm going to raise this a little bit, but I understand that um, we all got one hour less sleep. That does not give us an excuse to take a nap. I mean, maybe it does give us a little bit of an excuse, but, uh, but not every, so maybe just Sunday morning, next Sunday, we'll just be like, all right, get Get ready. And I'm going to say good morning, and everybody's going to say good morning, right? Yeah, no, it's not going to happen. I understand that. Uh, a couple of things before we dig into this chapter. Um, Katie and I, my wife and I, are leaving tomorrow for our spiritual renewal. Um, for you as a church, you give, uh, you give me a week off beyond vacation. It's kind of like a mini sabbatical. Uh, we're heading down to Village Creek Bible Camp in Northeast Iowa, the camp that um, we send our kids to and do family camps with as a church and support. Um, and the, the camp allows, allows us to go there for free, which is beautiful. Um, and it's a service or a ministry that they have. And uh, we go there and there is literally no campers. The staff avoid us like the plague. It is quiet. It's uh, time to just renew, get into the Word, um, I'm going to do a lot of fishing because it's going to be like a high of 60 there, which is basically summer weather for us, right? Um, so it's just going to be it's going to be a beautiful time for us to be able to just kind of relax and get away. Um, uh, thank you for my parents coming all the way from Southern Illinois to watch the kids so that we know they're not going to die. Um, but that means we're not getting back until next Sunday late afternoon. And so we have a special guest next week. Alan is going to preach for us. Um, and uh, so be praying for him this week and, uh, and lift him up in your prayers um, as, you, as you think about um, uh, what's going to happen next week. Um, so continue and pray for Katie and I too, that it would be a time of just kind of rejuvenation and renewal and and being able to, uh, to kind of catch up. So if there is an emergency, if something happens... You can call me. My phone shut off, so I won't get it for a week, um, at least until we hit lacrosse when my phone just blows up and I actually get back into cell service. Um, so if there is something, if there's an emergency, if there's a question that you have, um, you can contact Luke. You can also contact um, Josh. Um, if you know of anybody else who maybe knows more than them and me, like Albert, 
um, you can give him a call, uh, but they will go ahead and uh, they will take care uh, of all of that. So um, one, one other note, and Emily is not in here. I don't know if you, if you grabbed your bulletin, flip it to the back, there is an addition to our staff. Children's ministry director. Emily is teaching right now. She's in uh, Wonderland, and so we'll, we'll actually uh, bring her up next uh, two weeks from now, and we'll pray for her. Uh, but she is starting the new position. We, we talked about it in January when we did the new budget, um, that she is coming on as a children's ministry director. And so um, now I guess any questions for children's church, children's ministry could be directed to her. But no, she's going to slowly work into that position. It's a new position for us as a church, and so there'll be some adjustment to it. But continue to pray for her and for the children's ministry as, as it moves forward. Um, anyway, so all of, that's, all of, all of that is, is out of the way. We are continuing in 1 Samuel. We're going we're gonna to be here probably until the end of April, beginning of May. Um, all the way to the end of 1 Samuel, we're going to take a break. Then through, from that moment to the end of the summer, we're going to spend some time in a New Testament book. Not 100% sure where we're going to go with that, but we'll also do a series on uh, the book of Psalms. And so we're going to do quite a few Psalms um, throughout the summer is when we're going to be, be hitting those. And so um, add before then in the fall, we're going to get back into 2 Samuel. We're going to start 2 Samuel. Um, so as we've been going through this, we've seen the work of Saul. We've seen the work of David. And David's been faithful and Saul has not been faithful. David's been wise. Saul has been foolish. And we look at all the storylines and the narratives and where it's going and what's been happening. Um, and then we come across now... Usually the, the chapters have been pretty positive towards David. Um, and we had one negative one with, with Nabal and Abigail when David got mad because he was offended and then he decided he was going to kill everybody around him. Um, and this chapter is very similar to that one. Um, and so as we get into it, I was thinking and thinking through this this week. Where is David right now? Like as we're in this story, where is his mindset and what came to mind was uh, a story about seven years ago. As we packed up my family, we packed up all of our belongings into a U-Haul truck. As in South Dakota, and as we're packing, it's probably about half full, this big U-Haul truck with all of our stuff from our house. My dad walks up and lets me know that an ice storm is on the way. Our plan was to spend the night at a friend's house. We're going to celebrate uh, my daughter Cara's sixth an, uh, birthday with all of her friends, have big cake. There was going to be this big party, and we we're going to party until, you know, the morning. Well, a little bit later and then sleep so that we can leave early in the morning. But then after looking at the radar, I said, we've got to leave now. Like, we're going we're gonna to have supper. We're going to do a really quick celebration, and then we're, we're gone. And, and by that time, it was late at at night, um, and it would put us into Maple Grove here at about 1.30 or 2 o'clock in the morning. Needless to say, it was not the most popular decision at the moment, but when we arrived, we actually pulled into the, dry, the, the parking lot here, and we found out that the truck, my pickup truck that I had been pulling behind the U-Haul, I didn't hook it up correctly, and I blew the clutch out in my, in my truck. 
meaning that it was undrivable. In fact, we had to push it off of the, uh, the, what we were hauling it on. And now it was only worth the price of scrap. We were graciously put up in a church member's relative's home for the night, so a complete stranger's home. We had no clue who, who they weren't there, praise God, because um, it was so late at night. Uh, but they put us up. They allowed us to use it. We woke up in the morning, and there was a quarter inch of ice on, the, on everything, the trees. The, and, and so we were just like, thank you, God, for getting us here, and we're glad that we left early. But I thought, welcome to Minnesota. Welcome to Minnesota. Two days later, we finalized on our house, which, of course, was the coldest day of the year. When we finally arrived at our new home, after getting lost, I got us lost. Um, we found that the driveway was covered in ice still. And to get the U-Haul close enough to the house for unloading, my dad and I had to jerry-rig a pulley system in order to wrench the truck up to the driveway. I was exhausted. My family was exhausted. And now we had to unload and unpack an entire house. And so for those of you who are here who helped us, you will always be remembered with love, with love. And through it all, I felt like I was strong. I never flinched. Hey, it's got to get done. Got to do it. Let's do it. Whatever. Get it done. And then I made the decision, I just want to do one little thing. I went outside with my outdoor thermometer, and in my attempt to put it uh, the base so I could hook the thermometer up, my drill slipped, caused the plastic base to snap in half. It was useless. I calmly walked inside. I placed my drill in the broken holder on the counter. I turned to my mom and I said, I'm going into my room right now. And I, I lost it. It was like, it was just, you know, you ever had one of those days? Like everything, you're strong, everything's going, okay, bad, 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 I'm fine. And then a little plastic holder breaks and you lose it. This is where David finds himself. If you've been in that position, imagine this, because we can look down on David. But if you put yourself in his position, he's trusted God's protection over and over again. But even David, the anointed king of Israel, has his limits. It's as if David set down his drill in this chapter and he said, I'm going to my room. I'm done. I, I don't want to do this anymore. All of his running, taking care of his family, taking care of his men's families, fleeing from one stronghold to another, it has finally taken its toll. And David seems to give up and take matters into his own hands, forgetting to trust the Lord. So turn in your Bibles with me or in your Bible apps. And we're going to start reading in verse 5. And we're going to see what David does. So he's, he's fled to Achish, the Philistine. In verse 5, Then David said to Achish, If I had found favor in your eyes, let a place be given to me in one of the country, house, country towns that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So that day Achish gave him Ziklag, Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Now David and his men went up and made raids against the Geshurites and the Gerzites and the Amalekites, for these were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as far as sure to the land of Egypt. 
And David would strike the land and would leave neither man nor woman alive, but would take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the garments, and come back to Achish. When Achish asked, where have you made a raid today? David would say, against the Negev of Judah, or against the Negev of the Jeremelites, or against the the Negev of the Kenites. And David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news about Gath, thinking, lest they should tell about us and say, so David has done. Such was his custom. All the while he lived in the country of the Philistines. And Achish trusted David, thinking, he has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel. Therefore, he shall always be my servant. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. And David said to Achish, very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. I don't know if you noticed this, but did you notice that this is a godless chapter? There is no mention of the Lord, but that's done for a reason. For David's actions are far from godly. He has become overwhelmed with his circumstances to the point that he fails to seek God's wisdom and instead doing what he sees as his only option. His first step away from the Lord is his fearing Saul more than fearing the Lord. And even after all that the Lord has done for him, protecting him, providing for him, David's fear of Saul overpowers his fear of the Lord and starts him down a path in which only will only lead him farther and farther from the wisdom and the strength of the Lord. David's situation is already difficult because he's unable to share in the inheritance of the Lord. He said that in chapter 26, verse 19, to Saul, which means what he's saying by that is that he can't worship the Lord at the tabernacle along with his fellow Israelites. He wants to gather with the people of Israel, but he can't because if he shows up with all of his men and all of their families, what is Saul going to do? He's going to kill them all. And so he can't worship with his people. And so he feels his only option is to escape to the land of the Philistines to seek their protection because that totally makes sense. Just like losing your mind over a broken piece of plastic totally makes sense, right? I can't worship the Lord with my people, and so I'm going to run to Israel's arch enemies. You know, that nation who hates God's people and wants to enslave them. I think I'm going to hang out with them for a while. That is his second step away from the Lord. At first, David's plan seems to work because Saul refuses to pursue him to the Philistine country. But now David is with the enemy and is expected to make raids against Israel. And at the end, we will see, he's expected to go out to fight a war against Israel. Remember, he's the king of Israel, the anointed king of Israel. He, he can't do that. He's not some common raider. He's not a Philistine. And so to keep up his charade of loyalty to the Philistines, he begins to make raids, but not against Israel, against other Canaanite cities. But there's a problem. 
what if some of those inhabitants tell Achish, the king of the Philistines, what David is up to? Then David's cover is going to be blown. And so he decides to kill all the men and the women of the cities that he's raided so that no one can expose his lie. You see, this, this is a pretty, pretty dark path he's walked down. It's just another step away from the Lord. So how did David get here? What brought David so low that he would flee to the enemy, he would lie, and he would murder in order to preserve his own life? Well, it begins with his fear of man over his fear of Saul. The phrase, fear the Lord, is commanded of God's people all over in Scripture, but what does that actually mean? Sometimes as Christians, we can say, fear the Lord, but it's like Christianese, right? Like, well, what does that actually mean? And do we actually fear the Lord? Well, this is what, uh, we're going we're gonna to go to a lot of places. I'm not going to go, um, I'll, I'll say them, so I would write them down, and then you can go back and look at these um, multiple verses as we continue here, that Proverbs 28, verse 14 reads this, as blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. And so the fear of the Lord is contrasted with being stiff-necked, difficult, and stubborn. And those who do not fear the Lord will have a heart which rejects God, leading them only into calamity, or literally wickedness and disaster. That's where David is finding himself. But those who fear the Lord will have a heart of humility and receptiveness to the Lord's will and desires and commands. This is where, this is where David has failed. His heart is so focused on his fear of Saul that he became hardened against and unreceptive to the Lord's moving. That's why there's no mention of God because he hasn't gone to God. Instead of humility, he became proud, taking matters into his own hands. And you say, well, how can that be pride? He's fearful. Fearing man instead of God is full of pride. It's all about us, me, 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 me. So how do God's people not follow in Dave's, uh, David's footsteps? How do, how do we fear the Lord and not men? How do the people of Israel and today the church, the people of God, how do we not do what David did? Well, there are two ways that the Bible actually calls us to fear the Lord, with trembling and with delight. Now, I, I feel like I have to make a disclaimer here because the struggle with this is Christians, okay? So God says, obey my commands. So when we talk about obedience as Christians, we can easily fall into moralism or legalism. So legalism is, is I have to do this, 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 and this in order to earn God's favor and be saved. So if I just follow the law, then I will be saved and I'm really good, eternity-wise. Or moralism is that if you do this and this and this and this, then that makes you a good person. And so when we talk about obedience, and when we're talking today about how to fear the Lord with trembling and with delight, and what does that actually mean? We need to be very careful not to fall into those two categories of moralism and legalism. 
Because we want to have our hearts and our minds as God's people focused on Him. Do we obey God? Absolutely. But we don't do it to earn His favor. And we don't do it just so that we can look good to the people around us and be a moral person. There's a lot of moral people in this world who are going to be spending eternity in hell because they don't know who God is. And so we have to be very careful of that. So that's my one disclaimer. It was a long one, but that's my disclaimer, okay? So what does it mean to fear the Lord with trembling and delight? That seems polar opposite, right? Yes, but we need both. To fear the Lord with trembling, Isaiah 66 verse 2 says this, But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. This is similar to the words of Paul in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, where he writes, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Or Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29, where we are called as God's people to offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for, why are we to offer acceptable worship with reverence and awe to God? Well, because he is a consuming fire. In other words, just as Moses fell on his face while in the presence of God at the burning bush, or the apostle John in Revelation chapter 1, falling at the feet of Jesus as if dead, There is a power and a majesty beyond description when we are confronted with the presence of God. Our worship of God is to be with reverence and awe. That's not just singing music. That's part of it. It's a lifestyle of worship of God, giving Him the glory, giving Him the praise, and giving Him the honor. Our worship of God is to be with reverence and awe, with fear of God. Because we worship a God so holy and so righteous and so good that all unholiness is utterly consumed in his presence. Now think about that. When was the last time you sinned? In the last 15 minutes. (laughs) Or the last day. Even as God's people, we fail to fully obey God. We do sin against his commands, which is why when we say, well, if I just follow the law, then I'm going to be good. Well, we fail at following the law in the simplest of forms. And the Bible says you fail at one, you fail at all. So we fail at the law. Well, what happens? We as God's people are sinful beyond imagination. And yet, and we'll get there, We are called to approach the throne of God, to go before him and worship this God who's a consuming fire of all unholiness. We worship a God so holy and righteous that we could be consumed in his presence in an instant. We worship a God who with one word can wipe the entire universe out of existence. We worship a God who has no need for anyone or anything, but is complete and whole and good in and of himself. If I think God needs me, I have made myself God. 
We worship a God who commands the stars and the planets, who raises up empires and destroys nations, who knows and commands every sparrow which falls to the earth, and he understands every hair on my head, including the ones that are going to fall out later. He knows everything and our very existence, the, the very existence of creation is dependent upon Him and Him alone. This is the God that we worship right now. This is the God that we come before, and so we are to worship Him and fear Him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Those are the words of Christ in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. We should never assume that we can approach the Lord in a cavalier, arrogant, and self-centered way because He is a consuming fire. And we are to tremble at His presence. I'm not going to spend much time on this, and again, I'm getting off my notes a little bit, but I I feel compelled for us to specifically talk about probably the easiest thing that we can probably all, all at least relate to is the music within churches at worship service. Now, I'm not talking the type of music. I'm talking the focus of the music. That many times within churches, and we have fallen prey to that at times too, and, and I know Aaron and I, when we meet, we really strive not to fall into this, that we sing songs that lift us up. God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. I'm so good. Or as, as I like to say, we sing Jesus is my boyfriend songs. If you take Jesus' name, you put your boyfriend or your girlfriend in or your husband or wife, it's basically a love song to them. Jesus is not my wife. He's not my husband. He's not my boyfriend. He's not my girlfriend. He is my God. And he's the one that I'm calling to worship. And I should not come to him with a cavalier attitude. Even in the music that we sing on a Sunday morning or a worship service or in the car with a cavalier attitude as if I'm awesome because God loves me. And he's going to do what I want because he loves me. As if he's my best friend. I have yet to find any place in Scripture where God is called my friend. He says, I'm his friend. But we cannot treat God as if he's my buddy down the street and watch a football game. Because if that's how we treat him, our buddy can consume us in an instant because he is holy and perfect and just. He's a consuming fire. You're like, holy cow, I had an hour less sleep, Mark. Why are you doing this? Why are you saying this? Well, this is the reality of who our God is, and we need to come to Him with trembling. Just as Moses and John and so many others who find themselves in the presence of God fall on their face in worship and awe and fear of God. But here's the weird thing. We're also supposed to come to Him and to fear Him with delight. 
And speaking of the coming Messiah, Isaiah chapter 11, verses 2 to 3 reads, so he's, he's describing Christ here, the Messiah, in a prophecy. He says, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, that is the Messiah, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So even Jesus feared the Lord and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Or take Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11. O Lord, let your heart, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servants and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. So there is a, a fear of the Lord which leads to delight. Isn't that weird? We're to approach God with trembling. He can smite us from the face of the earth with one word from his lips. And yet when we approach God with fear and trembling, we also have an overwhelming delight. Because those who fear God delight in the character and the person of God. They delight in the commands of God. They de- delight in, in the, being in the presence of His holiness. There is no other place that we would want to be than in the holy, purifying, caring hands of our God. As I was doing studies this week, I actually read a story, and I don't do this very often. I read a story about John Piper um, that he gave, an illustration he gave from his own life. So these are not my words, these are his. But I, I felt like I had to take it word for word because it's, a, it's such a good illustration of, of what it means to approach God with fear and trembling, but also fear and delight. He tells a story of taking his six-year-old son, Karsten, with him for a visit to a friend's home. And this is what he says. He says he had a, his friend had a dog at the door when we opened the door and he looked at Karsten eyeball to eyeball. So it was a big dog. This dog is a giant dog. And he sent Karsten back to, uh, I sent Karsten back to the car to grab something that we had forgotten. And the dog went loping behind him at his very height with a little bit of a growl as the sun is walking away. And Karsten was terrified, understandably, right? And the owner leaned out the door and he shouted, Karsten, maybe you better not run. He doesn't like it when people run away from him. And then Piper continues, instead, just walk beside him. You can even put your hand around his neck. I thought when I read this too about, if you've ever read the story of Narnia, Chronicles of Narnia, how they describe God, this um, Aslan is his name in there, um, and he's a lion, but he's not a tame lion, and yet he's a loving and caring lion. It's a perfect, if incomplete, picture of God. To run away from God is to harden your heart towards him. To not fear him is to receive his wrath and his discipline. He is a powerful, powerful being who can remove us from the face of the earth. But to walk with him, to follow his guidance, to trust in his ways, humbling our hearts, fearing him with both trembling and delight is to receive his joy, his peace, his comfort, 
his protection, his strength, his righteousness, his holiness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his love, and yes, even his purification when he sanctifies us. We have a God who is a roaring lion who allows us to walk next to him and put our hands on his neck. All he has to do is turn his head and we're done for. And yet, when we trust him and we walk next to him and we trust his leading and his guiding, guidance, we feel safe and there's no other place we would rather be than next to our God who has control over all. David forgot even if for a short period of time, that to fear the Lord more than Saul is to be in the hands of the majestic, instead of being in the hands of the majestic and powerful God, his pride, his arrogance drove him to trust himself when things didn't go his way or what he felt should happen. Moving him farther down the road away from the Lord, trusting himself, trusting the Philistines, his enemy, before he's trusting God. And we could easily do that for us today. Instead of trusting the Lord with all of the chaos in our world, without not trusting the Lord with all of the chaos in our own life, there's a lot of unknowns. Now, there's always unknowns in life. We get that. The older we get, the more we go, yeah, I really don't know much, right? As a teenager, you're like, I know everything. I'm smart. I could do whatever. Huh. Those people, they're just dumb. They don't know. What to do. And then the older you get, you realize, no, you're the dumb one. Okay, and I could say that because I've been there, right? So if you think, like even now, I'm, I'm 43 years old. And I, I feel like I kind of know a lot and I'm constantly reminding myself, now nah, you really don't know much. If God gives you another 40 years of life, Mark, you're going to learn so much more. We think we know better. We think we know better than the God who created the universe. And the circumstances of this life can overwhelm us. Where is this war going to lead? Am I going to be able to pay my bills next week? Do I have to walk to work now? <laughs> what about my kids who've turned away from the Lord or who are rebellious? What about my health? This last week we did a, a funeral. 57-year-old man. That's young. That's young. Guarantee at the age of 40, he never thought that was going to hit. What do, we, what do we do with that? How do we handle that? Well, we have to go to the Lord. And so do we fear the Lord with both trembling and delight? Do we remember that our God whom we worship is a consuming fire who also calls us as his children? And this is the beauty, to approach his throne of glory with confidence. Not because we're awesome, but because he is. And he says, I have saved you. I have cleansed you in the blood of my son. In those moments with, with everything around us, 
that's falling apart, the circumstances of life become weighty and overwhelming, we as his people must remember where do we turn? We turn to the God who is sovereign over all things. Nothing, nothing is not a part of his eyesight. Nothing. Nothing is gone from his eyesight. He sees all things. And his hand is in all things. And so we need to trust in him. Now, that's not a blind trust. The Bible is full of wisdom. Be like the ants, right? Be diligent, work hard. But don't just say, eat, drink, and be merry because your life tomorrow is going to be taken from you. So live like there's no tomorrow, but plan for 10 years from now. The things of this world are going to bring us down and we're going to find trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world, Christ says. We're going to face trials and tribulation and hardships. But if we as God's people fear the Lord with both trembling and delight... Now, again, this is not moralism or legalism. Don't hear that, okay? This is as God's people, as we grow in faith in Him, as we see Him working in our life, as we face circumstances, we have to remind ourselves individually, and that's why we gather as a church together, right? Corporately to be able to encourage one another and say, don't forget who's really in control. Fear the one who could take your soul, not the world who can only take your life. Because in the end, this place is going to end, it's going to burn up, and we'll be left with Him who is worthy of all praise and all glory and all honor. And so this is what we say. It's God's people. Trust Him no matter what. Turn to Him. Spend time in prayer. Confidently approach the throne of glory with, with confidence and love and joy, knowing that we are approaching a holy God who commands us to approach Him. Trust Him. No matter what, do not let the things of this world overcome you. Instead, fear the Lord and fear him with trembling and with utter joy and delight. This is the God that we worship. This is the God that we praise for his glory. Amen. Father, I pray this is so hard for us, God, that we, we, we could become overwhelmed and and we can become focused on the things in our life that aren't going well or the struggles that we're having. Or, Father, you tell us to turn to you. And may we not approach you as if you're just a best friend who can, hey, we can hang out with God. That you are, you are a God who is holy beyond imagination. That when we enter into his presence, that we are to fall before you in glory and honor and praise. And yet, Father, you lift us up through your son. You lift us up and you say, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Father, help us as your people. For those of us who have trusted in your grace and mercy and not in our own works, not in our own wisdom, to fear you and fear you with trembling and with delight. That is going to give us such joy, unimaginable, Father, that we just want more and more and more of you. Let our lives 
be for you and for you alone, Father, so that we might experience your goodness and your grace and joy beyond anything. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our final song?